you need a Bible, raise your hand. The ushers will be glad to get one to you. Keep your hand up so they can see. And turn with us to Genesis chapter 19 as we continue our study through. Uh, last week in chapter 18, leaving us off with um, Abraham, his name being changed to Abraham from Abram, having this perspective. And we've, we've looked throughout this book so far, having a great perspective of the promises of God. And being reminded of the promises of God, and as we are reminded of the promises of God, it's important for us to to remember, and that's why there's constant reminders. It's important for Abraham to remember, and there were moments that Abraham forgot or forsook the promise of God, and he took matters into his own hands, and then there was moments that Abraham of course, remembered the promises of God or was reminded of the promises of God. And that's, that's really where he left off. You know, last week, Pastor Dan shared with us, and then even the end of chapter 18, where Abraham, in his great fellowship with God, this great communion with the Lord, is having a, a very personal conversation with him and pleading with the Lord to say, please, don't wipe Sodom and Gomorrah off the map. If you would find 50 righteous, okay, if there's 50, and he kept going down lower and lower and lower to the point he says, if there's 10 righteous, Lord, would you spare Sodom? And the Lord says, yeah, if there's 10 righteous. And that's where we're left off. There's these angels that have come to visit Abraham, and now we leave off with that, and that's, so the Lord, verse 33 of chapter 18, so the Lord went his way as soon as he had finished speaking with Abraham, and Abraham returned to his place. And so now, uh, verse 1 of chapter 19, we pick up. Now the two angels came to Sodom in the evening, and Lot was sitting in the gate of Sodom. When Lot saw them, he rose to meet them, and he bowed himself with his face toward the ground. And he said, here now, my lords, please turn into your servant's house and spend the night and wash your feet. Then you may rise early and go on your way. And they said, no, but we will spend the night in the open square. But he insisted strongly, so they turned in to him and entered his house. Then he made them a feast and baked unleavened bread, and they ate. So these two angels that came to Sodom are the same two angels that had just visited Abraham. And so these two angels who had visited Abraham, and what did God say he was going to do to Sodom? Destroy it. So now these two angels are headed to Sodom to do the work of the Lord there. Lot is sitting at the gate of Sodom, entrenched in the city of wickedness that he had showed up. Now, now there's this downward spiral that we've seen take place in the life of Lot First of all, chapter 13, you don't have to turn there, but we can be reminded of when we study chapter 13, first of all, Lot looked toward Sodom. He chose Sodom to be his dwelling place. He looked toward Sodom. He then pitched his tent toward Sodom. He was focused on Sodom. And then he came, in chapter 14, we learned that he came to the place of living in, dwelling in Sodom. And now here he's sitting at the gate. This isn't just like he's chilling out by the gate of the entryway to Sodom. The idea here of the gate is that he was 
a leader of some sort, a civil leader of some sort in Sodom, and they would be gathered in the gate or the courthouse is more realistic to the translation here. And as they would gather, they're, they're having conversation of leading this city and, and influencing the city, and then he's there, a part of that crowd. He is entrenched in the leadership of the city of Sodom. He had made it his home. He was contributing to the community and had become even some sort of leader there. But Lot's light was full, life was full of compromise. He was a righteous man, as Peter will go on to tell us. But according to what we're going to study today in chapter 19, we would easily scratch our heads and wonder, was Lot so righteous? Yet the Bible calls him righteous. Righteous Lot. His life was full of compromise. He allowed carnal influence. And so Lot invites these angels into his house, offering great hospitality, even perhaps thinking that this might earn him something. I'm going to invite the angels in. You know, maybe things aren't quite right in my life. Maybe I've compromised a lot. Maybe I've allowed for a lot of bad influences and carnal influences in my life. But if I invite the angels in, if I invite the angels over for dinner, maybe that will gain something. I'll get some sort of extra credit, brownie points for that, right? And sometimes, you know, people will do that. People do that even now. Hey, pastor, you come over to my house, you know, make us more righteous somehow. Doesn't work. I don't have any righteousness to give. But yet, this is the perspective. And Lot thinks this way. He's thinking, hey, I'll invite them in. At the same time, he had an understanding of the wickedness of Sodom. Because he invites them to come in in also a way of protection for them knowing full well how dangerous of a place Sodom was. And he said, no, we're going to stay in the square. He's like, don't stay in the square. The square's a bad place to be. That's the whole picture of what we're seeing here. Lot knows full well he is fully entrenched. This is his community, and he is part of it, and he knows how dangerous and how wicked Sodom is. And so much so that he wants to keep these Angels protected from the wickedness of Sodom. And he, so he insists, and at first they decline. Interesting that in the last chapter, as we studied, chapter 18, they were glad to receive the hospitality of Abraham in his tent. But yet when Lot, who has great possessions, Lot, who's got a house, not a tent, he's not a wanderer, he's settled in Sodom, and Sodom was this beautiful city, and yet he offers them this hospitality, and they decline at first. Abraham, there's a difference. Abraham, we know, was a wanderer, right? He, he had a tent. He didn't put his stake in, in having a nice house in this great place and, and host people in this beautiful, wonderful house. Abraham lived for eternity. Lot lived for Sodom. He lived for the things of this world. He lived for the possession, the power, the beautiful place, the nice house. But he insisted and they were hosted there 
at Lot's house. In verse 4, we continue. Now, before they lay down, the men of the city, the men of Sodom, both old and young, all the people from every quarter surrounded the house. And they called to Lot and said to him, Where are the men who came to you tonight? Bring them out to us that we may know them carnally. Wow, this is a serious demonstration of wickedness. This is as carnal as it gets, and they even proclaim it, that we may know them carnally. Now, what happens here, this is giving us all the men of Sodom. It, gives, it tells us young and old from every quarter, people from every quarter all over the city of Sodom have come to Lot's house to call out these guests who've arrived so that they may know them carnally. This is wickedness at its finest. I mean, this is as, as debased as it would get. But clearly and sadly, this is a normal and accepted behavior in Sodom. As these guests arrived into town, all the people of the town are coming, knocking down the door to pursue the lust of the flesh, to pursue this terrible wickedness that we may know them carnally. This is the sin of homosexuality. It's made very plain, very clear. And let's be clear, homosexuality is a sin. It doesn't matter what the world might try to say because the world's standard of morality is false. This is the world's standard of morality. This is where it ends up, Genesis 19. This, there's nothing new under the sun. We think today, oh man, it's gotten so bad today. This is pretty bad, guys. I don't know if it gets much worse. They come pounding down the door that we may know them carnally in this crazy pursuit of wickedness. That was Sodom. The sin is homosexuality, and homosexuality is a sin. Romans chapter 1, verse 26 to 28 says this. For this reason, God gave them up to vile passions. For even their women exchanged the natural use for what is against nature. Likewise also the men, leaving the natural use of the woman, burned in their lust for one another. Men with men committing what is shameful and receiving in themselves the penalty of their error which was due. And even as they did not like to retain God in their knowledge, God gave them over to debased mind to do those things which are not fitting. Paul says it, he gave them over to debased minds. That's what this is, is debased minds. These are literally mindless people in pursuit of wickedness and filth. It is a complete, homosexuality, guys, it is a complete twisting of God's plan. A complete twisting of the image of God that we have been created in. When God, and we've got, we get to study through Genesis, and as we have, we see God's perfect plan. From the beginning, how he created all things perfect. In the image of God, he created them, man and woman. 
And what did he set before them? What is God's purpose and plan? His perfect plan for marriage is to produce godly offspring. That's God's plan. But so many times throughout this book already, we have seen a perversion of God's plan, a questioning of God's image, a questioning of God's perfect way for the world to continue, to reproduce, to procreate, and here we are again in this chapter with a complete perversion of God's plan. That's what the enemy's trying to do. That's the world we live in today. That's the world that we've been living in since sin, sin entered the world. It's not new. The enemy is trying to pervert our image of God. It's trying to pervert and distort our view of who God is and his perfect plan for the world. Like I said, it's not a new thing today. Yes, it may seem that today it is more globally accepted. But we see an acceptance here, no doubt, in the society of Sodom. And what does that lead to? Well, we'll get into that throughout this chapter. It leads to full-on destruction. And so giving in and, and just being accepting, you know, it's okay. People are going to, that's a debased mind. And living our lives as believers in Jesus Christ, just accepting it, look, it's sin. And it is a sin that leads to destruction. That's what Romans makes clear to us. It leads to destruction. It leads to terrible things. It leads clearly in Genesis chapter 19 to full on fire and brimstone destruction. Now, yes, there were many other things going on. And the wickedness of Sodom and Gomorrah was so great. But this one is identified clearly to us. There are many sins, yes, that lead to destruction. And as Christians, we don't just speak this way about the sin of homosexuality. That's another a, a stigma that has been put on the church, on Christians to say, oh, all they do is they're just a bunch of bigots who hate homosexuals. And no, we hate sin and we want people to be called to repentance. And repentance is not living our lives, being given over to debased minds. Not living our lives that is, that's living in sin that leads to destruction. And we're not going to get into all the other sins because that's not here in chapter 19 of Genesis. We're in chapter 19 of Genesis. So that's what we're talking about here. This is sick, twisted stuff. And the Bible makes it clear, that's not God's way. That's not God's plan. But you can't convince the world of their immorality. We're about to see that, verse 6. So Lot went out to them through the doorway, shut the door behind him, and said, please, my brethren, do not, be so, do, not do so wickedly. See, now I have two daughters who have not known a man. Please, let me bring them out to you, and you may do to them as you wish. Only do nothing to these men, since this is the reason they have come under the shadow of my roof. 
And they said, stand back. Then they said, this is, uh, this is one, this one came in to say, stay here, and he keeps acting as a judge. Now we will deal worse with you than with them. So they pressed hard against the man, Lot, and came near to break down the door. Yes, it's true. The Bible has some really crazy stories, guys. You read this, you're like, what is going on? And why is the Bible talking about this stuff? This is, ah, you know, I don't, it's gross, it's bad stuff. You know what? Better to learn these things from the word of God than from all the filth that is being poured into our generation in the world. Because it's all out there. Because there's so many places that people and the young ones, the kids and teenagers can stumble across this same type of stuff, but without the hope of eternity. And so we can study the scriptures and we can read this and be like, whoa, what is going on? It's okay. We understand God has a plan. We understand that there is hope in eternity. And there's a difference between Abraham and Lot. And Abraham, who walked with God, and it was accounted to him as righteousness. He believed in God. He had a relationship with God. And then we'll get into Lot and seeing that what is the fruit of his life here. So Lot went out. He went out the door. He tells, you guys stay here. I'm going out the door. It says that he shut it behind him. This is more you know, indication and actually more literally translates that he locked up the door behind him. So that the door was locked, they were locked in the house because it was not safe in Sodom. And so now he goes out and locks the door behind him. This is a bad situation and he knew it, but now his approach, as he goes out to plead with the wicked, he finds out very quickly, you can't convince the wicked of their own immorality. And you can't call them to morality. But he, has, he starts out in verse 7. He says, please, my brethren, do not do so wickedly. Whoa, this is a really bad starting point. He has no business calling these people his brethren. We've been studying on Sunday mornings in the Gospel of John, right? And we see Jesus saying to Mary after he is risen, says, go tell the brethren. He comes to them. He says, my brethren. They're gathered together, the assembling of the brethren. And we've, we've talked so much about that, the assembling of the brethren. And now here's Lot saying, my brethren, to these wicked, debased people. Please, my brethren, it's a bad starting point. They should not be considered brethren to him. But he says to them, he tries to appeal to some sort of morality in saying, do not do so wickedly. He doesn't call them to repentance. He doesn't tell them, you guys are wicked. You got serious problems and you need to repent. He says, just don't do, just not so bad. Don't do so wickedly. I mean, this has gone too far. Let's just dial it back a little bit if you don't mind. That's his approach here. 
He tried to appeal to some sort of morality, but they have different standards of morality. The world has very different standards of morality than we do as believers in Jesus Christ, don't, don't they? And we shouldn't be so surprised when we see the world acting like this. When we look around and we're like, I can't believe it. Well, they don't have a standard of morality if they don't have Jesus. You see, trying to hold the world to any standard of morality is going to be fruitless. So, Lot cannot appeal to their morality because they have none. So now what does he do? He appeals to their immorality. Just a little bit, guys. That's all I ask. So what does he do? He offers his daughters. This is unbelievable. I mean, this story just, you're, again, you read it. You're like, I can't believe it. Hey, just so that you don't participate in the sin of homosexuality, let me give you my daughters so you can at least participate in heterosexuality. It's still immoral. It's just as disgusting. But he just tries to dial them back a little. He tries to appeal to their immorality. He offers his daughters to satisfy their lusts. He has greater protection for his guests than he does for his own daughters. And offering his daughters was this twisted way of trying to get them to be more moral yet not calling them to repentance. This was Lot, compromise. The right thing to do, call them to repentance. Don't put up with it. Like Brian's approach. You know, how's it looking over there? The streets are closed. Looks great, let's go. Straightforward, let's go. There's no dialing back. Let's get our boots on the ground. So he offers, the, you know, he appeals to their immorality. It is a feeble effort, clearly. Again, he, he shows no, no authority whatsoever over his own house that they're coming to take down the door. He just, hey, guys, well, you know, just don't be so bad, you know? My brethren, we should be in no place of mixing it up to call the world our brethren. We should have no company with them. But he allows it. He has allowed it. And it started with him looking towards Sodom, pitching his tent towards Sodom, living in Sodom. It's a slow downward spiral of compromise and bringing himself into this company to say, my brethren, they're not our brethren. We should have no fellowship with the world. Now, does that mean like we can never talk to, no. But our fellowship is broken with the world. And our responsibility, as Jesus called the disciples, and he said, you are the sent ones, and you are gonna sent, and you're gonna be sent, and you're gonna be able to forgive people of sin, and you're gonna call them to repentance. So that when they come to repentance, you say, yes, your sins are forgiven. So what are we doing? Are we mixing it up and saying, my brethren, so that we could get them to not be so bad? What does that gain anybody? 
It gains nothing. We think we're going to get them to stop being so wicked. That gains nothing. We call to repentance. So this is a feeble effort. Of course, they would not have it because the wickedness and debased minds are never satisfied. Wickedness is never satisfied. Guys, the enemy is never, ever satisfied. And that's so clear. He offers his daughters, his virgin daughters, he offers to them. And they're like, no. Because the enemy, the devil, is never satisfied. So wickedness itself is never satisfied. So they come down to break down the door. Now there's greater pursuit. This is a such, such a sick and wicked madness in pursuit of satisfaction. There's no reasoning with such wickedness, and that's made clear here. Sin is the problem. Repentance is the solution. Jesus is the solution to the sin problem. Not less wickedness. We can't call the world to less wickedness. We need to call them to come to Jesus. So verse 10, as they come in this pursuit to break down the door and even saying, we're going to do worse to you, Lot, than we were even going to do to them. Verse 10, but the men reached out their hands and pulled Lot into the house with them and shut the door. And they struck the men who were at the doorway of the house with blindness both small and great, so they became weary trying to find the door. A supernatural help stepped in to demonstrate to Lot that, dude, this is a waste of time. This is useless. Trying to reason with wickedness is useless. But guys, we do it all the time. We take to Facebook We take to Instagram, we take to Twitter, and we think, I got my fingertips, and I'm going to type, that's my weapon, and we go about these feeble approaches to try to prove a point and reason with wickedness. We cannot reason with wickedness. Jesus is the only answer. Jesus has overcome, that's it. Not our minds, not our ideas of like, oh, I've got a really good thought on how I'm gonna convince this such and such a person that they should stop living in homosexuality. What is that gain? What does it gain? If somebody's not living in homosexuality yet they don't have a relationship with Jesus, what does it gain? Nothing. Jesus is the answer. So now this mob of wicked people were were made blind. Physically now just as blind as they already were spiritually. Literally looking as foolish as they were acting. Trying to even find a door to the point that they grow weary to find the door. I mean, I don't know about you guys. I get a picture of total mindless zombies in pursuit of lust. Trying to get to the door. They can't get to the door. They can't see. And all they are doing, they are driven by their sinful lusts. In verse 12, as we continue here, then the men said to Lot, have you, 
anyone else here, son-in-law, your sons, your daughters, and whomever you have in the city, take them out of this place. For we will destroy this place because the outcry against them has grown great before the face of the Lord. And the Lord has sent us to destroy it. So Lot went out and spoke to his sons-in-law who had married his daughters and said, Get up, get out of this place, for the Lord will destroy this city. But to his sons-in-law, he seemed to be joking. Now there's an escape plan here. An opportunity is given to Lot to take action for righteousness, to walk in obedience. Take your family out of this place. That's really good advice. Have you compromised? Have you compromised and put yourself and or your family in a dangerous place? And maybe you're even scratching your head wondering, how did things get so terrible for me and my family? Have you compromised? Well, no, no, maybe, maybe a little bit, but that's not why. Yes, it is. That's what happens. Have you compromised the, the, the safety and the well-being and the righteousness of your family? Have you found yourself comfortable in Sodom? Get out. It's good advice. Get out. And don't just you get out. Get everybody. Get your whole family and get out of the dangerous place of compromise and wickedness. It leads to destruction. Get your family out of this place. And now they may clear the intent because we're here to destroy it. God has sent us here to destroy it. And listen, sometimes it takes leaving it all behind, guys. It takes all the things we like or enjoy, the comforts of home, to say, no, I'm not doing it anymore. I will not compromise anymore. I'm collecting everybody, and we're getting out of here. We'll see another character later in the book of Genesis who literally left the clothes off of his back to flee for righteousness and from unrighteousness in Joseph. He ran out naked, away from the lust. And here's a call for Lot to run and to leave the compromise behind. Get out, because we're here to destroy it. This is what we were sent to do. This is what Genesis 18 points toward. Abraham pleaded with God to spare Sodom for Lot's sake. That was his heart. He's like, hey, my, Lot lives there. So would you please spare them for 50, for 45, for 30, for 20, for 10? Yeah, for 10. Okay, and he left it at 10. He's thinking, okay, maybe, maybe there's 10. Lot's family, that's 10. Maybe that'll work. But his heart was for Lot's sake. And so now God answering the heart, the prayer of Abraham, has sent these angels to destroy Sodom, but has a way of escape, an escape plan for Lot and his family. But there's not 10 righteous. It's okay. 
God is merciful. And God knew the heart of Abraham, so the angels are here to destroy Sodom, but offer deliverance for Lot and his family. But here's the problem. Lot, through so much compromise, was not trustworthy. They thought he was joking. Now, it says his sons-in-laws, and the translation indicates to us they were betrothed because we know that the, the daughters had not known a man. So they were not married, according to our English language, and that, that's what we're reading in is our English language, but the, in the original, it is giving the indication they are betrothed to be married. And so the sons-in-laws he goes to, and they thought he was joking. Lot's compromise even further led to this fruitlessness. Yes, Lot was a righteous man, but his compromise, his compromise allowed for unbelief among his family to where he, he, his compromise led him to the place where he had no influence in Sodom, clearly, even though he was some sort of leader involved in the community, he had no influence. And he had no influence even in his own family. Even we'll see over his own wife. See, we think we'll, we have influence. We mix it up with the world. And we think, no, no, I can influence them. It's the idea of evangelism dating, right? You guys know what I'm talking about? Yes, evangelism dating. You go, oh, there's somebody's a Christian is going to start dating somebody who's not a Christian. They're like, it's okay because I'm going to preach to them. It's not going to work. It doesn't work. Look at Lot. So verse 15, when the morning dawned and the angels urged Lot to hurry, saying, Arise, take your wife and your two daughters who are here, lest you be consumed in the punishment of the city. And while he lingered, the men took hold of his hand, his wife's hand, and the hands of his two daughters, the Lord being merciful to him, and they brought him out and set him outside the city. The Lord's mercy is so great that even when we have no urgency to run from the wickedness, to run from the destruction, to run from the compromise that has put us in the place of destruction, we have no motivation, we have no urgency, God's mercy says, you know what, I'm just going to move you. And maybe you've seen that happen in your life. Maybe you've seen the hand of God, the sovereign hand of God that has said, stop doing what you're doing, and you don't listen, and he says, okay, I'm going to move you over here. That's exactly what happens. The angels first urge him, indicating that Lot had no urgency, giving Lot opportunity to put aside the compromise again and just act in obedience. Yet he lingered. He held on to the comforts, to the desires of Sodom, the things of the world that he had latched onto. And so, in God's mercy, he removed them. You see, Lot was trapped. He had too much of the world to be satisfied in the Lord and too much of the Lord to be satisfied with the world. 
That's what compromise does. You have like a little bit of conviction, but not quite enough. And so verse 17, after they are removed from the city, then so it came to pass when they had brought them outside that he said, escape for your life. Do not look behind you, nor stay anywhere in the plain. Escape to the mountains, lest you be destroyed. Then Lot said to them, please know, my lords, indeed, now your servant has found favor in your sight, and you have increased your mercy, which you have shown me by saving my life. But I cannot escape to the mountains, lest some evil overtake me and I die. See, now this city is near enough to flee to, and it is a little one. Please let me escape there. It is, not a, is it not a little one? And my soul shall live. And he said to him, see, I have favored you concerning this thing also, and that I will not overthrow this city for which you have spoken. Hurry, escape there, for I cannot do anything until you arrive there. Therefore, the man, the name of the city is called Zoar. There's some urgent direction given here. Escape. That's a good directive. Don't look back. These are the keys. Escape, don't look back, don't stay anywhere near the city of Sodom, get out and go to the mountains. Lot's will was weak. And in his weak will, he needed clear and urgent direction. That direction was go to the mountains. Go to the place farthest from Sodom. Go to the place that's farthest from the compromise, that's maybe a little bit difficult to get to and even a little bit difficult to endure. Go to the mountains. Don't even just get to where you think is a safe place. The blast zone is bigger than you think. Get out. Escape for your life. Your life depends on this. Go to the mountains. And in that, Lot again has a plea. Please, no, not the mountains. The mountains are scary. The mountains are dangerous. There's, there's wild beasts in the mountains. They could get me. I could be eaten up. Maybe there's some crazy people in the mountains. The mountains, the weather's bad in the mountains. It's cold up in the mountains. I don't like it in the mountains. And that's the picture we get here of Lot is like this little wimpy, like, oh, please, not the mountains. They're scary. And he even uses the word evil here. He said it's some sort of evil overtake me and I die. But the indication is there, the evil is the scary mountains. And yet he's forgotten about the evil, the true evil and wickedness that he had dwelt among and faced down every single day because he had gotten so comfortable in it. He should have been terrified by Sodom. We should be terrified by wickedness. We should want to have nothing to do with it. 
and we should run for the mountains. Yet he holds on a little bit more. Not the mountains. It's too hard to let go. Thinking that the mountains are not as scary and dangerous as Sodom, but they are. And he pleaded to go to this place. It's a little city. Just leave it alone. Zoar. And they answered, go ahead. And what Lot gained here, the, the translation of Zoar, and it says here in our Bible, little t- city or little town, is, is actually insignificant city. That's what it is. Lot, who set his eyes on Sodom, the great city. Lot, who desired all his greatness and power and prestige and, and the beauty and the, the luscious life, is now pleading for Zoar, the insignificant city. And that's what he ended up with. But he doesn't even end up staying there. He ends up going to the mountains. That's what we're going to get into shortly. Verse 23, we continue. The sun had risen up, uh, the sun had risen upon the earth when Lot entered Zoar. Then the Lord rained brimstone and fire on Sodom and Gomorrah from the Lord out of the heavens. So he overthrew those cities all the plain, all the inhabitants of the cities, and what grew on the ground. But his wife looked back behind him, and she became a pillar of salt. We see, of course, here the destruction of Sodom and Gomorrah, and the fire and brimstone is the judgment of God. This is severe judgment. And it's not just a plague or something that takes out people and it wasn't a flood that wiped out the earth. He promised he wasn't gonna do that again, right? But here's this great city built up for greatness and everything's wonderful and beautiful and God rains down fire and brimstone on that city. Imagine the sight He wipes it out. It's so extreme. It wipes out all the surrounding cities and the plain that the angels had told him, don't hang out on the plain because it's in the blast zone. But he also said, don't look back. And she did. This place that seems so great on worldly terms is completely destroyed because of wickedness. And Lot's wife stops to look back. The angel specifically said, don't look back, and she stops to look back. Why? Why would she look back? And we think, like, that's, why? And some would even say, well, I mean, there's fire raining down on the city. Everybody's going to look. But that's not, the, that's not the translation. Of looking back, it's, it's translated more literally to be that she gazed intentionally and she longed for, even giving the idea that she had a desire to go back. With fire raining down from heaven, she desired to go back to Sodom. Why would she look back? Because her heart was there. And she was sad over the destruction Lot had allowed for this through his compromise. His wife was emotionally attached to a place full of wickedness. 
Clearly, he did not lead his family as God's plan was, as God's order was, through his compromise, there was destruction. Through his compromise, his wife became emotionally attached to a place of wickedness. Jesus says, remember Lot's wife. Addressing the heart. What in that, he's saying, do not have the heart that Lot's wife had. Because she loved the things of the world. She was attached to them. And she regretted the destruction of wickedness. Do we regret the destruction of our flesh? Or do we like it? Do we want to go back to it? Do we think, well, I just won't do as bad as I did before? Like Lot tried to call the people of Sodom to that same thing. Just don't do as wicked things. Don't do things as bad as you did before. Do we regret the destruction of the flesh, of sin, of wickedness? Instead, what do we need to do? The opposite of looking back is looking forward. And we look up. Looking unto Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith. So verse 27, And Abraham went early in the morning to a place where he had stood before the Lord. Then the Lord toward Sodom, then he looked toward Sodom and Gomorrah and toward all the land of the plain. And he saw and behold the smoke of the land which went up like the smoke of a furnace. We take a break from Lot and let's talk about Abraham. We just need a break, right? It's like you're watching a movie or you're reading a story and it's like, man, this is all destruction, all bad. Let's talk about the good guy for a minute. Let's go, let's go to Abraham. Let's just take a break from the destruction and let's talk about Abraham. Oh, let's talk about his perspective of the destruction. But, you know, he, what Abraham does is he went early in the morning. He went to the place. He went back to the place that he had met with the Lord. And we've seen Abraham do that before. He goes back to the place that the Lord met him. He just had a serious interaction with the Lord, pleading for Sodom to be spared. And so now he's like, I got to go back. I got to talk to the Lord. I got to see what's going on. And in this, he has hope because he believes in God, the promises of God. He saw God's righteous judgment, but he trusted and knew God's deliverance at the same time of Lot. Verse 30, then, Lot went up out of Zoar and dwelt in the mountains, and his two daughters were with him, for he was afraid to dwell in Zoar, and he and his two daughters dwelt in a cave. Now the firstborn said to the younger, our father is old, and there is no man on the earth to come into us as is the custom of all the earth. Come, let us make our father drink wine, and we will lie with him, that we may preserve the lineage of our father. So they made their father drink wine that night, and the firstborn went in and lay with her father, and he did not know when she lay down or when she arose. 
It happened on the next day that the firstborn said to the younger, Indeed, I lay with my father last night. Let us make him drink wine tonight also, and you go in and lie with him, that we may preserve the lineage of of our father. Then they made their father drink wine that night also. And the younger arose and lay with him, and he did not know when she lay down or when she arose. Thus... Both the daughters of Lot were with child by their father. The firstborn bore a son and called his name Moab. He is the father of the Moabites to this day. And the younger, she also bore a son and called his name Ben-Ami. He is the father of the people of Ammon to this day. Wow. It keeps getting worse. So what becomes of Lot? The influence of Sodom was so strong that his daughters were now just as debased as the men of Sodom. This is the influence they had. This is the influence that Lot had allowed into his family, into his life, that this seemed like a good idea. When does that look like a good idea? Well, when the influence is wickedness because of compromise. Immorality abounds. And the immorality, it just gets more creative, doesn't it? And left to their own ideas here, their own ideas that have been solely influenced by Sodom, what do we see? They each get pregnant by their own father. their own father who tried to offer them up to the wicked men of Sodom. There was no morality instilled into their lives. There was no thought of God. There was no conviction whatsoever. They went and they isolated themselves to the mountains. And in that, they were left to their own debased minds. Finding no place in the world, left to their own immoral ideology. Thinking that this is the only way to reproduce. There is no, absolutely no thought of God whatsoever. Without God, there's no morality. I mean, there there are people in the world that would say there's no God, yet they have a moral compass. It's impossible. Without God, there is no morality. And with compromise, Lot's family is led to a place in which God is not any part of it. And you might think, that won't happen to me. What is the influence of your life? What is the influence of your home, of your family? If there's a little compromise, it leads to more compromise, which leads to greater destruction, which leads to zero morality whatsoever. And sometimes we wonder why. It starts with compromise. God gives opportunity after opportunity. He literally took Lot and his family and removed them to spare them. Yet they did not pursue righteousness and morality. 
Lot did not direct his family and his, daughter, his wife and his daughters toward morality. Sodom was all they knew. That's how they acted. We have the Moabites and the Ammonites that are born out of this. It's the fruit of wickedness. Two nations, the Moabites who were people who settled down to become hostile neighbors of Israel. And the Ammonites who were wanderers always looking to side with the enemies of Israel. That's the fruit of wickedness. So Lot's legacy. What was Lot's legacy? I end with this, a quote by John Phillips. It says, it would be difficult to decide whether or not Lot was a truly saved man by reading this story in the Old Testament. He made no positive contribution to the life of faith. He chose the lower the carnal, the worldly path. He left the fellowship of the faith at the earliest possible moment and was never restored to that fellowship. He made no mark for God. His family ended in disaster. The last we see of him in the narrative, he is drunk and dishonored. Indeed, were it not for a brief but remarkable statement of Peter written thousands of years later in 2 Peter chapter 2, verse 7 and 8, it says, and delivered righteous Lot. This is God delivered righteous Lot who was oppressed by the filthy conduct of the wicked. For that righteous man dwelling among them tormented his righteous soul from day to day by seeing and hearing their lawless deeds. If not for that, we would be justified in concluding that the root of the matter had never been in him at all. Such is the life of a backslider. May God deliver us from a life like that. Indeed, as Jesus said, may we remember Lot's wife. You see, guys... Lot was righteous, but look at his life. You see, we may have committed our lives to Jesus and, and have a relationship with him, and we have, you know, uh, we have a moral compass, and we would walk in some sort of righteousness, but through compromise, we put ourselves in a place of compromise. We put our families in the place of compromise. We allow for unrighteousness to abound. We don't stand for righteousness. We don't stand and call anyone or anything to repentance or call anyone to Jesus. Instead, we just try to say, oh, just don't be so wicked. And yet we think that somehow the next generation, our children, or our grandchildren are going to be righteous? May we remember the influence of Lot that was an influence for unrighteousness. That was the legacy. Yes, Lot was righteous, but the legacy that he left behind of his family was not righteous. 
Let that be a challenge and a call to all of us. Leave it all behind. When given the opportunity, especially, leave it all behind. All the backsliding, all of the wickedness that we may have ever participated in, leave it all behind. Don't fight for the little city. Don't look back, run to the mountains. Walk in obedience. Let's pray. We thank you, Lord. We thank you for your great mercy that although we may wander, although we may have areas of compromise, your mercy is more. 